to the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. Today, I have a guest who's a subject matter expert in the topic of retirement, Dr. Medina Baumgart. She's an in-house psychologist at a law enforcement agency, and she is the author of Surviving Retirement, Finding Purpose and Fulfillment Beyond the Badge. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that this is a topic that's so close to my heart as a retiree myself. I've done several installments in my masterclass series on retirement, and we'll include them here in the show notes. Dr. Baumgart is an in-house psychologist who focuses on counseling, works with peer support, and builds relationships with sworn and civilian members while embedded in the patrol stations. But it's really her personal experience as a spouse of a retired law enforcement officer that inspired her book and her course. She openly shares her husband's struggle with depression and alcohol after retirement, as well as her own. Despite having the tools as a psychologist, she felt helpless to help her own husband. Dr. Baumgart walks us through a framework in the book that she wants all retirees to know about. She shared a TED Talk link with me, and I'll include that in the show notes. It's from Dr. Riley Moynes, and it basically says that there are four phases of a retirement for anyone, not just those in law enforcement. And she briefly covers them in our conversation. The first one is the vacation phase. It lasts about a year after retirement and we miss our routine. Things start to kind of get boring in that, in that vacation phase. And then we go into what she calls phase two, where we can feel lost or feel lost or what I call the grief phase. She says that this is where a lot of people get stuck and she references the big five, routine, identity, relationships, purpose, and power. And because we don't know it's coming, this stage can often be traumatic. And again, where we get stuck and experience fear, anxiety, and depression. So knowing that it's coming is half the battle as preparation is crucial. She then says phase three, trial and error involves stepping outside of your comfort zone, maybe trying something new that you didn't necessarily have a chance to do during your career. And how can I contribute and find meaning? Really experimenting. And if you don't know what those things are, looking for different things that you're passionate about. Now, sometimes Dr. Baumgart says that this phase can come with some disappointment and failure because we try things that maybe we've never done before. But the important thing is to get support and just keep trying. And then if we get to the next phase, that's called reinvent and rewire. That's where you ask yourself the tough questions. How can I squeeze all the juice from my retirement? It almost always involves purpose, meaning, and service to others. Although Dr. Baumgart never set out to write this book, we discuss how she asked her husband to write down everything that he wanted other cops to know about retirement And the course and the book were born from there. It was really born from their own personal experience. Although it's different for everyone, Dr. Baumgart tells us that the reestablishment of a routine, going to the gym, tackling projects outside of his comfort zone, and some are some of the ways that her own husband achieved those last steps in the framework that we just mentioned above. Besides her personal experience, she spoke with over 200 retirees as she researched her book. And many of the issues and the challenges were the same. I shared with Dr. Baumgart my own struggle with identity and the shame and embarrassment that I felt surrounding that. According to Psychology Today, our identity is a unique blend of our memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create our sense of self. This mix creates a steady sense of who we are over time. Even as new facets are developed and incorporated into one's identity, Although I thought I was pretty diverse, if I'm being completely honest, my role at work was a big part of who I was. I remember hearing one time that you can love your job, but your job can't love you back. It reminds me of something that Dr. Baumgart said in her book, referencing and quoting her husband when he turned in his equipment prior to retiring. I gave you my life and you handed me a receipt. After investing so much work, holidays, overtime, shift work, and trauma exposure, the end can feel so cold and transactional. And I can completely relate to this feeling. 
The lesson here is that preparation, understanding, and support can lend itself to a very smooth transition, and it doesn't have to be that way. We also discuss the impact our careers have on our physiology, and just because you retire doesn't mean that your nervous system retires. It doesn't necessarily get the memo. And this is something that I talk quite a bit about on this podcast, and I've linked an episode covering a variety of tools in the show notes. If we don't provide an outlet or a way to process or complete the stress response, it's going to come out in ways like arguing, picking fights, anger, and other maladaptive coping mechanisms. Since our nervous system is wired to protect us from harm, we must learn to self-regulate, which is something Dr. Baumgart addresses in her book. I really think you're going to find a lot of value in this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Dr. Medina Baumgart. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks so much for inviting me. So today, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. Um, We were talking a little bit before we hit record, and you've recently written a book about retirement, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited to talk about that. But before we do, if you would not mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background, what you do, and, and kind of a little bit about what led you to the type of work that you are now doing with first responders. Sure. So I am a licensed psychologist in California and a board certified specialist in police and public safety psychology. Um, My degree uh, is in forensic psychology. So I actually initially started on the criminal side of things. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And I worked inside a jail for about eight years and it just wasn't really, I wasn't passionate about it like I wanted to be. And um, timing worked out and uh, my agency had a position open and I said, well, I'm married to a cop, so <laughs> I think I could do this. And I, I lateraled over to my agency now uh, where I'm an in-house psychologist, one of many. And um, now I work primarily with our sworn and civilian law enforcement personnel um, in our peer support and chaplain programs doing uh, counseling consultation for patrolling custody operations um, and, you know, training and anything else that comes up that's needed. And how long have you been in your current role? In my current role for eight years. Okay. So eight years working with, in the correctional facility and now eight years um, with Mm -hmm. first responders. Okay. And so, if you could, if you could just take a moment to share with the listeners a little bit about, you said that you, you obviously you're a doctor in psychology, but that you have a mm-hmm. specialization in um, mm-hmm. police psychology and public safety. I think that's what you said. Could mm-hmm. you, could you go into that a little bit and what that entails? Sure. It is uh, about a two year process. Um, that's uh, pretty intensive. And um, you essentially demonstrate to this board of your peers um, that you are specialized in, for me, it was police and public safety psychology. Um, There's other specializations with the American Board of Professional Psychology, um, but there's uh, an extensive kind of writing process where you present a a sample of the work that you've done. And then there's a four-hour Uh, oral exam where you're talking with the panel um, to essentially demonstrate your competence in the field. Wow. So beyond your PhD, this is something Mm -hmm. in addition to that. So that's a whole lot of school. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. There's about, I think we have just over a hundred of us in this specialty nationwide right now. Great. Well, and then in addition to that, obviously you've got firsthand experience in in working directly with first responders for the past eight years and, of course, being married Mm -hmm. to one. Yes, (laughs) yes. And I can definitely say the uh, personal experience being married to one because I they didn't give me a manual on on how to (laughs) navigate that. And so uh, we figured it out and it's it's immensely helpful in the job that I have now. And, and if you don't mind, I'm curious if you mm-hmm. wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about what your full-time role entails as an in-house mm-hmm. psychologist, because you don't, you don't hear about that very often. I know that, that it's something that does occur, 
Um, but mm-hmm. for agencies that are looking to do something, whether it be contracting out with a mental health professional or bringing one in, could you just mm-hmm. give us a little bit of the foundation of how it's structured and what, what you do day in and day out? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, right now my time's kind of split in half. So about half of the work I do currently is um, in one of our clinics uh, providing counseling. And this is individual counseling, couples counseling, even conducting critical incident debriefings, uh, EMDR. It's about half of the work that I do. And then the other half, I'm embedded in a few of our patrol stations. And my role there is really to build relationships with both sworn and and civilian or professional staff and um, kind of normalize, I think, the the resources that we have and, and humanize it too, because I hear... Um, I hear all of these horrible stories about our folks who have um, tried to see a therapist through their insurance, and um, people have all of these assumptions about that process. Uh, So really just interacting with people, you know, one human to another human, um, and that helps. So in this event where somebody needs something, they're more likely to reach out, and that is in fact what we see. Um, And then the other kind of collateral things that I do are work with our peer support program. Um, I work with uh, another deputy sheriff who's our coordinator and we provide uh, training for the program. Anything that comes up, we co-respond with our peer supporters and our chaplains uh, for certain critical incidents. Um, And it's really been, I mean, fantastic. It's, I've been here eight years, but it feels like I've only been here two because uh, I really, really enjoy what I do. Yeah, that's that's amazing because you know to what you said about being embedded partially with mm-hmm. some of those some of those stations, it's all about building trust and relationships. And I can see mm-hmm. how you being there regularly, them getting to know you as a person mm-hmm. and trust you, um, has been extremely beneficial. So that's that's great. Besides yeah. besides you, are there there are others? You said there's a team or a group of of therapists that work in house. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes, yes. We have, uh, I think we're roughly 20 psychologists right now. Um, And then we have psychologists embedded in other units and then psychologists that teach primarily full time. Um, But yeah, we're all spread out through our county. And so I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious, do you have a favorite part of your job? Like what is the one thing you just absolutely really enjoy doing? And I'm sure it could be different elements of it, but is there something you like to do the best? Ooh, I would say building the relationships, whether it's in my office, uh, whether it's out in the field or with my peer supporters. Um, I think just building those those relationships because, um, you know, everyone's got that emotional armor on uh, by the nature of the work that they do. And just being able to we call it like water cooler therapy, you know, when you're out somewhere and someone's like, hey, doc, can I talk to you real quick? Um, But just knowing that, you know, people trust to call you or reach out to you if they need something, um, I would say that's what I enjoy the most. And and I imagine that because you are a spouse of a law enforcement Mm -hmm. officer, that it's it's easy for you because you're probably you even before stepping into the role, you were used to being around law enforcement. Yes. Yes, that definitely um, makes it easier. My, my humor and sarcasm are on point. <laughs> and I, uh, when I started, I told my husband, I said, I'm not afraid to use them. My husband's a cop card. Yeah. We'll mm-hmm. use and abuse that thing. <laughs> and as well, you should. And, you know, I've said, you know, I've definitely think that people who work with our population that are therapists or psychologists, they're, mm-hmm. you're a unique breed in, in and of yourselves. Mm-hmm. Not everyone yes. I think is cut out to work with first responders. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, it's it's just a different type of work. And um, the, you know, it's it's high impact, very similar, you know, to first responders in terms of trauma and, and everything and just um, really kind of fitting into that culture can be challenging for some. Now, as a spouse, do you, mm-hmm. in your full-time role, um, ever do anything specifically with family members or spouses? Yes, with spouses. Um, And we're so fortunate because um, a group of spouses 
um, actually formed kind of an external peer support group for other spouses. Um, and so I get to collaborate with them on some projects and they'll reach out if they need something, um, trying to work with them a little bit more next year. Uh, but I really, yeah, I, we see spouses, we see family members. That's so great. You know, at our agency, um, I mentioned that we're, I'm part of a full-time wellness unit and we're really working to build out our family program this next year mm -hmm. as part of a grant that we have and just building relationships, not just with spouses, because that, that was mm -hmm. the initial focus, but really just all, all family members, uh, mm -hmm. you know, maybe children, maybe adult children, um, if that's applicable, um, even mm -hmm. parents of, of first responders. So uh, it's something that I'm looking forward to, to building out. And I'm, I'm always trying to get input as to what other agencies or, or other therapists recommend in doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so important too, because as you know, the, that support system can make or break things sometimes. And that that's not built overnight. And so I think it's so important to interact with family, interact with spouses, um, to one, give them some just general information, um, you know, because for me, nobody gave me anything <laughs> and then we had to kind of figure it out and, and just to help them, but then to also help the officers because that's, that's really, you know, what they're coming home to. And if they can, if that family can be equipped with the support and tools that they need, you know, I think that helps all around. Yeah, and I, I can't remember where I heard this, but it may have been another therapist or psychologist that calls family mm -hmm. members the hidden heroes. And I just mm -hmm. love that like so that. much because I think it captures, you know, we can't forget how important the people that are at home, not necessarily punching the clock, coming to work, mm -hmm. how integral they are in in what we do. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And then, you know, the job, sometimes the job ends very abruptly or you get injured or you're off for a period of time. And so, you know, you really want that that family unit, whatever it looks like, just to be, you know, stable and supportive. Yeah, for sure. And so I want to transition a little bit since you talked about that, maybe getting injured or being off for a while mm -hmm. uh, about about what you're doing currently with your book. Um, you've written a book called Surviving Retirement, and and just a little bit about what I know is that that was inspired because of what you went through personally with your husband as he went through retirement. Yes, 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 yes. Um, the you know the psychologist part of my brain um, had had some worries when he was getting close to retirement because he was the the cops cop, all in identity interests. Everything was law enforcement connected. Um, so I knew that he would have some challenges. Um, the wife part of my brain uh, completely underestimated <laughs> the challenges that um, he was going to encounter. And then also the challenges I had. Because as a spouse, you know, we get used to running our own program, um, you know, and, and having our routine. Um, and that very quickly changes. Um and he, I think he tried to go back to work within the first few months. Um, but then it just, that, that civilian work life just did not go with him. I think he also went back a little too soon. Um, and so he stopped that. And so he's been retired now seven years. He just had a seven year retirement anniversary. Wow. That's, that's quite a bit of time that's passed. So that's, mm -hmm. so it's given you a, probably a good amount of time for perspective in looking yeah. back because I imagine things are, are obviously quite different now for you to be able to reflect mm -hmm. back and talk about these things. Yes. And he, you know, one of the challenges he had, um, was depression and, you know, throughout his career, um, he was pretty emotionally contained. Um, and I think, you know, as he kind of got close, which is very naturally happens, right? When you're getting ready to end something as you start reflecting and looking back. So we would have these things kind of bubble over, you know, watching a commercial and getting tearful or, you know, watching a movie and he's like, what is happening to me? So this is okay. This is normal. Um, but you know, the first few months were, were 
great. It felt like he was on vacation. By the time he was ready to retire, he was the, uh, I won't even say salty, he was crusty uh, and angry. And um, I think both of us were thinking, just be done already. Just be done. I was worried, you know, he's going to have a heart attack or or stroke or something. And, um, you know, those first few months, again, felt really easy. And then the uh, that started to kind of fizzle away and he started drinking more and became really depressed. And um, it was a very unique experience for me because as a psychologist, this is what I do. I have the tools, I have the knowledge to help people with this. But as a wife, because it was so personal, it was almost as if I didn't have any tools. It just, it felt very different for me. And so, you know, we worked through it as best as we could. And when he started kind of pulling out of his, I call it his funk, um, I handed him a notepad and I said, hey, I want you to write down everything that you would want your partners to know, you'd want other retiring cops to know. And he, you know, wrote down a bunch of stuff and that's um, initially what we used to put together this course, the retirement course. And in doing that, um, people would say, you need to write a book on this. You need to write a book. And I had zero interest in writing a book. Um, and then I actually was on a podcast with Cindy Doyle, Code for Couples. And um, I, I'm a huge fan of her book. And she encouraged me to take that leap. And, and that's what I did. Well, and I'm really glad that you did because, you know, you've, you've touched on so many important things. You know, first of all, I don't think that we talk about retirement enough. I often think that mm-hmm. the retired population is forgotten in the grand scheme of things when we're talking mm-hmm. about mental and emotional health um, when it comes to first responders and law enforcement. But I, I want to ask you one thing. I have a lot of things I would sure. like to ask. For your husband, because everybody's process to healing is different, right? There's so many different mm-hmm. paths up the mountain. And mm-hmm. when he did finally, like, as you say, get out of his funk, was there anything that he specifically did that you don't mind sharing tools that he mm-hmm. used to kind of help him get to that point where he was, he was kind of coming, the fog was lifting? Um, yeah. So he getting back to a routine was extremely important for him. So um, he goes to the gym uh, pretty much every day during the week, Monday through Friday, um, and having stuff to do. Um, and so what we ended up doing um, a few years back, actually, is kind of we have a dry erase board that's posted up in our pantry. And so anything that comes up, it could be something tiny, bigger projects. Um, he would, you know, do that. So he'd go to his gym, come home, look at, you know, the list and say, OK, I'm going to tackle these, you know, one or two things today. Um, another thing that was really helpful that he's, he's really started doing more of the last couple of years is stepping outside of his comfort zone a little bit and taking on projects that he would previously never in a million years do. Um, for example, we just, he just built a doghouse. Not in a million years would he ever do something like that, but he did. And it's, it's a chateau. It's beautiful. It's, it's massive, but, um, but that, you know, really helps. And I know that there's still moments where, you know, he's um, wants to kind of be a cop and be in that again. Um, but those are kind of few and far between now. So, but yeah, the routine and just kind of stepping out of his comfort zone and trying new things were really helpful. Well, and I appreciate you sharing that because one thing that, that I think is important for, for those to know that are listening that are maybe thinking of retiring, close to retiring, or are already retired, mm-hmm. is that it's important to find what works for you. There's not mm-hmm. a, you know, a prescription or a to-do or a blueprint, right? It's, it's very yeah. unique because we're all so different. And so, mm-hmm. you know, some people, um, they find that going to therapy or, you know, mm-hmm. talking to a coach or being part of, you know, maybe finding some purpose and meaning, maybe some kind of volunteer work, you know, there's, there's so many different options that, or, or things mm-hmm. and all of the, all of the above. So, so once he got to that point where he felt like things were mm-hmm. kind of back on track, so to speak, just finding his new normal, um, you asked him to just write a list of everything that, mm-hmm. that he wants others to know. And, and then that's, and that's how this whole thing got started. 
Yeah. And just the stuff that's not talked about. So I went with him to his retirement seminar um, that um, his agents, the purse, you know, put together and um, it, it, it had, you know, estate planning and your health benefits and stuff about Medicare and all of that. And, you know, I'm over there taking copious notes. And so we left there I mean, pretty, we felt pretty well equipped. I think the mental health uh, component of that was pretty much don't be an alcoholic, you know? And so okay. that's it, not, that's was, not yeah. real helpful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so it, um, it, yeah, we, you know, we felt pretty well equipped and, and we got out of there and none of it. So everything he wrote down was the stuff that we were not prepared for. Um, nobody equipped us. And then as I was kind of researching on my own, one, to understand how can I help my husband? And then two, to really walk through these issues, there's there's a decent amount of literature on retirement in general. Um, and there is some stuff on retiring from a law enforcement career. Um, a lot of it talks about the challenges, but didn't really have a ton of stuff on like, okay, well, what do you do about it? which it boggles my mind because we know that this job wrecks you. It wrecks your physical health, your emotional health, relationship health, mental health. And then it's almost as if, you know, we say, hey, you know, you spent, for him it was 29 years. You did this job for 29 years. Congratulations, happy retirement. Like, wait, what? No, <laughs> his brain and body are not wired for retirement. Yeah. And I, and I know you know this because you know, there's a need, but so much mm -hmm. of what you're saying personally resonates for mm -hmm. me. And then just so many of my, my colleagues and my friends, because as a retiree myself, I, I often say that I am the poster child for how not to retire, which is mm -hmm. what inspires me to, to share information like this with others, because I, it's not necessary. Um, I wish mm -hmm. I would have known certain things about how to prepare before I, mm -hmm. you know, pulled the plug, quite honestly. And, mm -hmm. um, and so much of what I have found with myself and with others is just knowing that what you're experiencing and feeling, you're not the only one, because I can tell you for me, yes. and, and maybe somebody hearing this, this, this can help. When I first retired, because it wasn't mm -hmm. what I had planned, once I, once I turned to a certain age, I left knowing that mm -hmm. that was like the, the time I could collect my pension. I had mm -hmm. initially planned to be there five more years and mm -hmm. due to some other circumstances, um, I decided I needed to go. I, I was ashamed because I really was taken back by how closely I tied my job to my identity. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something that you talk about and it really threw me for a loop because yeah. as a mother, a wife, I have friends outside of law enforcement. I have interests outside of law enforcement it really, it really surprised me how much mm -hmm. that impacted me. And I thought I was crazy mm -hmm. and I didn't really say anything for about a year. I just kind of worked through it. And mm -hmm. once I started to understand more about what was going on, that's one of the first things I talk to people about when mm -hmm. they're thinking about leaving and just saying, this is something that, you know, happened to me um, just to be aware because it doesn't happen to everybody. But, but I find mm -hmm. that those who retire the right way, quote unquote, uh, yes. healthfully and do things a little bit different, don't experience that. But, but for me personally, mm -hmm. that was something that really impacted me. And just with any of this, I think just talking about it, knowing that you are not the only one. So important because we were um, in kind of my effort to understand retirement more and say, Hey, okay, are we just this anomaly over here or, you know, what's going on? I had talked with, I think, just over like 200 retirees um, and some spouses. And I said, okay, well, we're definitely not the only ones. We're not unique here in experiencing this. But it, it was crazy how many just were not talking about it. And, you know, it's kind of that struggling in silence thing, you know. And it's just, it's like, you know, your, your brain, everything gets wired to think the worst of everything. And so, you know, imagine like you no longer have the distraction of work and now you're home and you're experiencing stuff and you're like, I don't know what this is. 
I don't know why this is happening. And then your brain's, you know, racking and trying to figure it out, but it's all the bad stuff, the negative stuff. And, um, and that, I mean, tossing alcohol, uh, you know, and, and other things that could really be a recipe for disaster. And yeah. And, and to your point, you know, one of the things I do in my full-time roles, I manage our agency's peer support team. And mm-hmm. what you're talking about is no different. It's just peer support for retirees and, and families. Mm-hmm. And we, we intentionally, and maybe this is because I'm a retiree myself from the start, we've mm-hmm. included retirees in our program because of that very same, for that reason. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it, it amazes me still to this day, you know, when you're in it, sometimes you forget that there are still people that don't understand this, that I have yeah. uh, people I know that will retire and they will say one of the biggest things when they feel, once they feel like they can say it, I was worried mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to be important anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I was worried that I, I mean, just very openly, I mean, you know that that's probably the reason, but you don't hear a lot of people yeah. openly admitting that. And mm-hmm. once they do, I think there's a weight because yeah. they're able to to share that and know that they're not the only ones. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think that's something important for people to know that, that it's, it's, it can be common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exceptionally common. And then it's just, you know, for one of the things when I was researching retirement is I stumbled upon this TED talk with um, this guy, Dr. Riley Moynes. So he's an educator. Uh, but he talked about retirement. And one of the things, um, which I mentioned in my book too, one of the things that he talks about is kind of this, in his research, these four phases of retirement. And so that's something I talk about to set the stage. Like expect to go through these phases. Some go, you know, straight through them, no problem. Some hit roadblocks. But if you know kind of what to expect, it can make things um, a little bit easier, you know? So he talks about that first, that vacation phase. So for my husband, that was the, I don't have to deal with this crap anymore. I'm happy. You know, he would, I would say, go out, go out in the back, you know, have, have your whiskey and a cigar and just enjoy yourself because you deserve it. And once that kind of winds down, now it's like the, you know, he called it the feeling lost and loss phase. So now this loss of identity, loss of routine, the camaraderie, um, it's all gone. And you don't really know kind of what you're doing. You're just floating around day by day, but there's no purpose tied to that. And typically with retirees who struggle, they get stuck in this phase. Um, And to kind of work out of that, that's because of the trial and error phase which is really to kind of step outside of your comfort zone, try new things, um, which that can be challenging for some retirees because they're used to, you know, the parameters that they operated in for so long. Uh, for my husband, he's not a really a people person because of the job. So that was like, I'm not, I don't want to go meet people. People suck. <laughs> they're terrible, you know? So yeah, that sounds very was... familiar. <laughs> So it's, it's difficult. And then, you know, that I think anytime we try something new uh, or step outside our comfort zone, if we don't get what we need from that experience, we can feel very frustrated or disappointed. And um, it's easy to just throw in the towel and say, screw this, I'm not doing this. And then go back in your, you know, lost and lost space. Um, instead of knowing like, Hey, no, that's very natural to try these things and don't try it just once, try it a few times, um, get that routine in order. And then ultimately kind of regain your purpose in retirement. I would love if you could, um, provide me maybe after this, the link to that Ted talk so we can put it in the show. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And of course we'll still put the link for your book and your course too, but but, you know, one one of the things that you said um, about the phases, which I find really interesting, is the mm-hmm. second phase. Um, it's something mm-hmm. that that I, I learned through therapy, quite honestly, after retiring mm-hmm. and also from the in-house therapist that, that I work with. You know, she talks a lot mm-hmm. about grief and trauma. And I yeah. never viewed grief. I was one of those people that mm-hmm. I heard the word grief and I thought, oh, you grieve when somebody dies. Like that, that mm-hmm. was it. That was my understanding of it, right? 
And then once yeah. I really started to understand that I was grieving because of something mm-hmm. that was lost um, in my role as a, as a detective or a police officer, mm-hmm. and then understanding how grief works and the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, in my role now with running peer support, it's important to know that too. And I think that's that having that information, like you said, mm-hmm. knowing that that's what you're experiencing and that it's normal to experience that. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a, a game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of, I liken it too, to like a critical incident debriefing, right? So a lot of that critical incident debriefing is educational. And here's why these things are happening. And here's what you can do to lessen the obstacles to, you know, kind of let your, your brain and body recover. Um, and the same process in in retirement. And I found that, you know, unfortunately, the job can equip officers with some not so healthy coping tools. And um, just like, you know, on the job and why you train so much is because when you're under stress, you revert to what you know, revert to your training, right? And, you know, thinking about retirement, it's if you retire, that's a major adjustment for anybody. And, you know, thinking about when, how are you going to cope with stuff? And and grief is a perfect example because you are losing that piece of you that you invested so much into. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you've talked about this, um, a little bit, but I want to ask you one of the things, Mm -hmm. of course, this is something that that I really like to focus on because um, I think I mentioned I teach yoga, mindfulness. I, take a, mm-hmm. I talk a lot about managing your nervous system. That's what I, I, yes. I teach a lot about. Um, can you speak to that? And do you cover that mm-hmm. in your book about the, mm-hmm. the physiological component of all of this? Yes. Yes. That's covered a lot in the book. Um, so it's, you know, just understanding that the nature of law enforcement work and the experiences wire your brain and body a certain way. And um, it it's wired in a way that um, helps you protect yourself. Um, and so, and then, you know, you can pull in traumatic experiences and all of that, that just kind of reinforce that. But at baseline, I mean, your nervous system is wired to protect uh, that hypervigilance roller coaster, constantly scanning your environment. Um, and then, you know, in retirement, that that protect piece of your nervous system just waiting, you know, that's really, it runs counter to like what the mission is in retirement, you know? And um, I always explain it like the brain and body, it's like a two, two lane highway, right? And the body communicates so most of the communication is body up to brain brain then interprets what's going on based on what your body's doing and so if biologically if your body is saying i'm i'm stressed or i'm bracing for something or i can't power down um your brain is going to interpret something's wrong and that's i mean that's something like for my husband and i when he retired he would had was kind of cranked on a little bit. And so that would look like, um, like dumb little fights about whatever, because he, you know, effectively was burning off the, the hypervigilance and, um, there was nowhere for it to go because he's not at work anymore. And so, you know, we ended up getting butting heads a lot the first couple of years because he was just trying to find an outlet for that. And with the nervous system, learning how to regulate, you know, primarily through breathing, which, you know, through yoga, um, that is so it's, I always say it's simple, but not easy. Yeah, you, if, you got it because that's exactly right. Getting people to, to understand how easy it really is and just doing it is, is mm-hmm. a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. And just understanding, you know, how the nervous system works. Like it's, you know, I always tell people when I introduce breathing, I said, look, the expectation is not you're going to take like, oh, three deep breaths and rainbows, unicorns, butterflies. That's not what's happening is you have to very skillfully breathe. And um, and it's difficult because, I mean, breathing is an involuntary process.
process. And we typically don't even notice it unless we're having difficulties breathing. And so to be able to harness that in a way that tells your body we're okay right now. Yeah. And I think, and I think that, um, so many first responders, not just cops Mm -hmm. and first responders, but a lot of people really are very out of Mm -hmm. touch or very disembodied. And like you said, that, that bottom up approach, um, Mm -hmm. I have, I've noticed in, in teaching this for quite a while now is that so many people, you just, you have to have them experience it to, to understand it. Mm-hmm. They have to feel it because sometimes, I mean, I think it's important to explain why we're doing what we're doing, but I have mm-hmm. seen, literally seen it on the faces of people when they, they breathe and they, they yes. even sometimes during our yoga classes, um, you can tell them what's going on, you know, right. That practical mm-hmm. left brain, like, here's why we're doing what we're doing. But then once they experience it, I've personally mm-hmm. noticed that that's the secret sauce. Now they're like, oh, they, they almost don't realize how much they need those tools. Yes. yes, 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 yes. Once they experience it, you can see. I mean, I've even seen, you know, in the office, like session to session. I say, hey, let's practice this here. So I want you to feel it in the room. And then I want you to, you know, in the next week, this is how we're going to practice and kind of come up with a game plan. And just to even see them come in the following week looking right everything just feels a little bit lighter and recognizing like you can control that yeah because you know and i think it's so wonderful when i hear therapists integrating those types of practices Mm -hmm. into their sessions with with first responders in particular because we're so in our head all the time and i'm Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from experience here (laughs) um and so that's why you know teaching these tools are so important to me and I'm passionate yeah. about because it's helped me so much. And I've seen how integral it is just in the whole process of holistic healing. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like preparation for retirement, uh, and I think just career wise, um, learning how do you, I call it like downshifting, right? So you're in one mode. And then when you go home, you're, you have to be in a different mode. And um, learning how to help your body ease into that process as opposed to just the extremes, right? I'm up here and then my body crashes, then I'm up here again and then everything crashes. Um, You know, learning that you can have an impact on what that feels like and staying connected to those experiences because as a first responder, you have to kind of suck it up and lock everything down, right? And that's... It's functional. You have to do that to be able to function in the, you know, in, in the course of your work. And part of doing that involves disregarding emotions, disregarding uncomfortable physical sensations. And when you do that repeatedly uh, in a culture that normalizes that process, um, you start becoming disconnected. And so you really are so used to just locking everything down that your perception changes. You know, it's, um, I use uh, heart math, heart rate variability training. So, um, you know, I'll take someone who's genuinely in my office. I'm not stressed. Like, I'm fine. I said, okay, let's try something here. So I hook them up, you know, to heart math. And it's, you know, they're pinging solid red. (laughs) I said, you may feel like you're fine but your body is screaming at you and we implement them really in real time and the technology is really cool because you can actually see the changes and somebody can go into in that kind of green zone and feel the difference um it's pretty remarkable to see in real time. And if you can learn how to do that throughout your career, that will help you with that piece of it in retirement. Yeah. And if, if you don't mind, cause I think our connection got a little bit uh, wonky there for a oh, minute. Yeah. Um, if you could repeat, just I'm familiar with heart math, but uh, if you mm-hmm. can kind of go through, just if you don't mind getting into a little bit of an explanation of what that is. And when you're saying hooking people up to heart math, just so the listeners understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, heart math uses the heart rate variability, which is like the milliseconds in between your heartbeats. Um, and it measures that uh, as a way to identify if your nervous system is kind of in this calm, we call like a coherent space, 
or if it is uh, stressed. And because your your nervous system has two modes, it's got the you know rest and recover, and it's got that that fight or flight, that stress response. And the technology, it's a sensor that goes on your earlobe um, that's hooked up to the computer, and it measures your heart rate variability in, in real time. And so um, I typically will walk somebody through uh, an exercise without them looking at the screen first, because, you know, every, everyone's, I know when I first did it, I was trying to understand it. And so it was hard for me to pay attention to the breathing at first. Um, but I'll, you know, walk somebody through, just get a baseline reading. Um, and then, okay, let's try this breathing technique. Okay, now I want you to think about something that's, you know, mildly or moderately frustrating or, or irritating for you. And then, okay, I want you to breathe again. And I mark on the screen the different parts where I'm asking them to do that. And then when we're done with that session, I flip the monitor around and I say, look, and explain to them, you know, this is the heart math is great because it translates all of the, I call like the nerdy heart rate variability data into three colors, red, blue, and green. And, and so as a measure of coherence, and um, when you see that in real time, look at just thinking about something irritable, look at what happened to your body. Did you feel that? Okay, now look at your breathing. How did that feel? Um, or if it's difficult to focus on that. Um, and it's, it's so amazing. Um, I was, I was, I got trained in heart math and I'm like, I don't really know if they're going to be super receptive to this. I got to kind of sell this, but it's, they love it because you get to see it. It kind of demystifies breathing and the nervous system. It's kind of this ominous thing that everybody talks about to, oh yeah, look at what I'm doing. <laughs> look well, at what my body's think, doing. And I think too, for those that are not really self-aware, you're not even aware mm -hmm. of what's going on. It's proof. Like, cause I, I can't, mm -hmm. I can count. I can't, it's, I can't even count. I is what I meant to say. How many times I've had a conversation with people about, oh, I'm not stressed. I'm good. Mm -hmm. I manage my stress well, yet they might be on some high blood pressure medicine and there might be all these mm -hmm. things happening over here that are really indicators that maybe you're not handling it so well. And that's just proof. It's like, well, no, mm -hmm. look at the, look at what the machine says. So I, I think that's mm -hmm. such a valuable tool. Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing to give somebody the ability to not only see the impact of that, but give them that control. Yeah, for sure. That's something, yep. You cops and first responders, that that's important mm -hmm. to them. For sure. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I don't want you to give all the secrets and content away of your book and mm -hmm. your course, but but as we kind of wrap up, do you mind um, giving everyone a little bit of an overview of what to expect? Uh, one of the things mm -hmm. that that I think is important to mention, I have the book. I told you I'm I'm holding it up. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet. Is that it isn't that big, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's a really easy read, and um, yeah. Which, which is important because sometimes people don't want to sit and sift through a long book. Mm -hmm. So, so if you could um, kind of give us a little bit of an overview of what to expect sure. with your book and your course. Sure. Yeah. And it's very much just the meat and potatoes. Um, it's not fuzzy or fluffy. Um, and, and that was important to me. And, and what we did is we broke down retirement and some of those areas um, that specifically impact retiring law enforcement officers. And each chapter covers different areas. Uh, the beginning, we talk about those four phases of retirement that I mentioned um, and some other aspects of retirement. Um, and then we kind of go into deep dive each chapter into a specific focus, like identity, um, biology, uh, you know, kind of helping things downshift, relationships, mental health, um, each story. So for me, it's important. And I, I actually learned to really appreciate this through peer support, but it's sharing your story. And so each chapter starts with a story. Um, you know, my husband obviously approved everything that went in there, but this is what my husband experienced, um, or this is what I experienced. And then it, we break down, this is why these things happen. And then here's some tools. Um, you know, in the beginning, I call it taking inventory. So check in. What is going on? 
Um, and then if you notice that this might be a, a vulnerable spot for you, then here's some things that you can do about it. Because in my own, um, you know, as I mentioned, like my own search for to understand this, I found a lot of, hey, yeah, this is going to be really difficult. Cool. Thank you. Like <laughs> I needed tools. And so what are so the solutions? How can it. I be supported through this? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it really just breaks it down that way. Um, very, very much uh, just real talk. Um, you know, it kind of gets down to the nitty gritty of everything. Um, and that the course is the same way, but really this is all of the stuff that we wish we would have known going into retirement. And that hearing you say that sounds exactly like what I said and my husband says, because my husband's, we're both mm -hmm. retired law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And so that probably brings a whole separate other complicated layer to the, the retirement when you've got two, mm -hmm. two of the same kind in the, yeah. in the household, <laughs> because we both experience things differently mm -hmm. as we retired. But yeah, exactly. And that's what I think is important as we wrap up for listeners to hear is that mm -hmm. this is something that, that. I don't really even care if you just started the job. I think this is something that people need to think about from the very beginning of their career mm -hmm. because you don't know how long your career is going to last. You know, mm -hmm. I made it 21 years, planned on five more, but there are people that get injured, get fired. Um, you know, mm -hmm. there's different things. And so having, yeah. having this understanding early on, I don't, I really don't know that it's something that you can do too soon. Mm hmm. I completely agree. I mean, if it in an ideal world, I would say, hey, once you get on the job and you go through your training, like within that first year, start start preparing for that exact reason. You just never know when, you know, you're going to leave the job and all of the tools that are in that book are things you can be doing throughout your career to boost your resilience, to prepare you for this big adjustment that's going to happen. Exactly. Well, Dr. Baumgart, I am so appreciative of your time and the work that you're doing with first yeah. responders. Um, it is so needed. And um, tell your husband, thank you for his involvement in this, because I know sometimes it's not easy for people to talk about things that they've experienced personally, but it's, mm -hmm. it's so beneficial because the work you're doing, you're, you're not really going to ever know, I don't think, how impactful it's been on someone. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found value, I ask that you take the time to do a review. Share the episode with someone who you think may be interested, maybe a retiree or someone soon to be retired or a family member. Thank you as always for listening. And remember, we are better together. Together.